is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. out there and welcome once again to the Tap in Time podcast. This is episode number 29 and I am Victor. I'm Claire. And I'm Jean. Back in episode number six of the Tap in Time podcast, we had our very first interview guest, and that was Stick Superman Jim Meyer, busker, recording artist, educator, wonderful human being, and the man behind the longest running stick event on the planet, the Vancouver Stick Seminar. That episode is worth your time to listen to, even if you've already heard it, because Jim really knocked it out of the park with some great stories and useful insights about playing, and in particular about learning to play the stick. Well, as it happens, Jim just put a bow on the 20th Vancouver Stick event this past August, and we thought that made for a great excuse for another tap in time first, the repeat appearance of an interview guest. So Jim, welcome back to Tap in Time. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. And thanks for keeping Tap and Time going. I'm a big fan. And thanks for sending the Tap and Time foreign correspondent up for our seminar back in August. <laughs> <laughs> Cover reporter Gene Perry. <laughs> On the spot. Reporter Gene Perry. Reporting to you live from Vancouver, British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't plan that Jim we're, we're thrilled to have you back um, yeah, wow sure. congrats 20 years that's a lot of seminars um, you know you've had maybe like mere hours to reflect maybe a little bit on it how did it go this year <laughs> you know it, it was really good I think for me personally the biggest thing is uh, within the kind of five or six days after everybody went home I was getting emails from people who had been here before and people who had come to their first six stick seminar, uh, just saying what a great time they had. And one guy to me, this is the whole thing, uh, just mentioned that he's looking forward to seeing all of his new stick friends next year. And it's, it's the relationships between stick players are just really fun. And at a seminar, it's not just the instructor and everyone else. It's like during a break, people, break off and start chatting and find out they got something in common, maybe stick related or home related or whatever. And you just see people having lunch together and hanging out at the performances, you know, everybody's just sitting together and visiting and stuff. So yeah, the, the stick community, I think is a, it's just pretty special. It always has been. And it's nice to see that it still is. So I'm really happy about that. Hmm. Yeah. That is, that is always one of the most rewarding parts. And, uh, you know, me in particular, Vancouver, it, it's kind of, you, you know, you have to go to this event as a Chapman stick player because as Claire mentioned, and as we are all aware, every single year this happens. And where else does that happen in our community? You know, Glenn has an event every other year and it's also fantastic. Interlochen is amazing, but um, nothing with the, you know, and you have all this great experience. So you kind of, you know, as someone who was there, 
as your Johnny on the spot reporter, Gene Perry. Uh, it was, it was, it was really fun to, to see that. And, and, and when, when I hear about someone that's new to the event, I'm always in the nicest way possible, kind of like gently pulling, like gently tugging a little bit, like, like, you know, because, you know, you're so nervous when you meet all these new people and they all know each other and they also know how to tune their instruments and, uh, you know, how to you know, work the, the pedals and all the blah, blah, blah. And, um, and what's, you know, what, what's the agenda like? And when people, and so in the Vancouver seminar, people wake up, you go into a big room, you have bowl of cereal, maybe somebody made some coffee, you know, sometimes, you know, um, who was a Scott's wife was, you know, whipping up some food and making bacon and stuff like that. And so it was very relaxed, you know? And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that, but certainly just, um, I'm so glad I finally went. I'm so glad Jim, it was such an amazing event and, and I'll gush over it a little more in a little bit here, but you know, congratulations. It, it was, it was yeah. a fantastic event and you made it look easy. The location was great. You know, the venue was great. We all had an opportunity to, to say what we wanted. And like you were mm-hmm. saying, and what you kind of observed was, is that, um, it's all very inclusive and you get to meet, you know, you know, stick players are the most fascinating people. It's like, right. The, yeah, you play the stick, but you know, tell me, tell me about, you know, what you do in information technology, maybe, you know, like in all these other kind of you know, tangents and we love the tangents. So. Well, uh, completely unrelated to the stick, there were two people at the seminar who had recently presided over weddings. <laughs> so that there's an unusual connection as well. Wait, wait, hold on. Okay. Let's have a little bit more on that. They presided over weddings, like yeah. they were like an efficient or. Oh, or? well, here you go. You were there. Can you guess which two? Yes. <laughs> you got me. Like, okay, first of all, you just mentioned one, uh, Scott's wife, Sarah. Okay. And second, uh, a young chap you folks may know, Mr. Don Schiff. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, you know, I think I, I think I saw a post on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was uh, something on Facebook about that. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. Pretty cool. The stick, the stick community bring people together forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I really do like the uh, the diversity. For better, or for worse, of, you, know. you know, not only the diversity of the people who come, but the diversity of the conversations that are had. Because there is a in the early days, there was a tendency to just nerd out on everything stick for like seventy two hours straight. But it, you know, it's really a lot more diverse than that. And people find common interests, and yeah, I guess. Um Coming off of that comment, how, how do you feel like, how have things changed for you either in, you know, the seminar itself, the topics you present or, or the participants, like ha- have things changed or how have things changed over the years that, that you've done this? <laughs> you know, uh, small and big, I guess. Uh, one thing I, I thought of when you first said that was uh, in the early years, the first three or four or five years, the plan was get everybody in a room have a mixing board in the middle. Everybody plugs a mono cable if possible. And immediately now here are the issues you have at, at stick seminars. Oh, I, my pickup's a stick up. <laughs> I don't have a mono switch. You know, okay. They need two channels. Oh no, we only planned on 16. You know, <laughs> So it all starts unraveling immediately. But, um, you know, basically everybody plugs into a monitor. We got some sort of powered system and then, but everybody's got their own fader. Everybody plays clean. And like it's this uh, uniform 
experience. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what it is now. So now it's uh, a lot of people bring their own, uh, people who have a, a fairly portable system will bring their own setup and play through it or bring their own setup and wear headphones so that no one can hear them. Uh, people will plug into the board, but it's not necessary that you're a completely clean sound now. So we'll hear more people playing what they actually sound like when they're practicing or performing or whatever with effects and that. So it's sonically, it's a lot more diverse in the room for sure. Uh, oddly enough, the good old days were when we had all the volume issues. And it just seems like in the last several years, maybe the last 10 years, it's volume management, the self volume management seems to work pretty well. So for the most part, that's, that's just not a, an issue anymore. Oh, um, yeah, something else that struck me is in the early days, the goal was, okay, these, everyone's come a long way. Everybody's paid money, taken time off. How much can we cram into three days? Or I, mine are typically four days. So, you know, what can you do in four days? And I think one thing we, we learned very slowly was that that's not a goal you should pursue because there are times, you know, we'd start on Thursday, we do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And by Friday afternoon, everybody's just burned out. And then Sunday is kind of the glossy eyed day because it's just, you know, useless. And we have learned to pace things a bit differently and to have significant breaks because at the breaks, some people like to just go in a corner and, try to go over what we were just doing. Some people like to do that with a friend. Some people kind of got it when we were doing it in the first place and they just want to do something completely different. And it's, uh, I think the breaks between sessions and especially significant breaks between sessions is a huge thing that evolved out of years of just torturing people, <laughs> I guess, really. <laughs> I, I will say, I forget what... what forget what year I was there on, on Gabriola. Um, I want to say 2018. 2018. That sounds about right. That sounds was Bob, right. Was Bob um, there? Yes. That was 2018. Jafflet, I think, was there. Well, Jafflet kind of became a fixture, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that I, I, Just to your point, like, that was really awesome in that, you know, it wasn't, we had spare time. We explored the island as a group. We went to a craft fair and just, you know, that, that area anyway, it was just such a wonderful vacation on top of being a stick event. <laughs> you know, like what we saw those orcas when we were leaving, it was like kind of magical. Uh -huh. um, it was, it was just a beautiful area and having that time just to chill was, was really nice too. <laughs> on top of the wonderful stick stuff, you know, we played stick outside, like what could be better? Well, it was, you know, kind of integrated too, because the crafts fair we went to, yeah. I mean, we, well, I guess the farmer's market, we played at the I, farmer's I forget, market. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. And yeah, the place that we were staying, it was on the beach. And so, you know, you got the sun setting and people were playing outside and there were a couple other families that were not for the stick gathering, but that were there that had young children that were, that were rambling around and getting involved as well. And it's, you know, the sun's setting and there's, a guy with an acoustic guitar and a guy with a stick doing, um, you know, an impromptu duet <laughs> while the sun is going down and you kind of, you know, you can't really hear the waves. It's not that kind of a beach, but uh, it was just, you know, it's an, it was, it's an idyllic setting. At least Gabriola was and really good. Also really a good. vacation. 
Yeah. Yeah, the Gabriel especially. Yeah, I miss the orcas though, so. Ah. <laughs> I had forgotten about that, Claire, but you really did get a good view when you were leaving the island. Your ferry was delayed because the orcas were in the way, right? I can't, yeah, we were waiting or, for a little bit, yeah. Or it was the ferry after you, one of them, but, yeah. Oh, uh, I was thinking about one other significant change, and I think this is a, a little bit of a reflection of me being the organizer, in the early days, it was just all about instruction. And then uh, whoever the instructors were would perform somewhere, uh, but it might have been an hour show in a coffee shop or something. And that is, it has really changed over the years to be more performance focused for everybody. So like Gabriel is the perfect example. We played out in the field at the pub there. We played in the hall in the pub. Some of us played in the bar in the pub at uh, the open mic night. And we played in the theater over at the Haven in the Phoenix. And we played in the room that we used for a lecture room. So whatever your comfort level is, anybody can play in the lecture room. If you can't play more than four notes in a row, that's still fine up there because people will appreciate what you're doing and have things to suggest about it. And, you know, but th that might be a place to, to play a song for the first time for the group or something like that, or the first few times. But, you know, if, if you feel like you want to play in front of people, but maybe a bar isn't the place you want to start, you know, playing outside in the, the patio area, you know, it's like you have a choice of how, how much do you want to push yourself in the performance side of things. So that's really a goal now is to try to find a way to make everyone be comfortable with performance. And one of the things we did, Claire, when you were here, um, was to do the group thing, like Bob Culbertson take, you know, five stick players and compose something in a day. And then sometime in the weekend, actually perform that. And uh, Dursaeus did that. Jafflet did that. And I think everybody involved in those performances just love them because if you're really only comfortable playing one hand, that's perfectly fine. In the group thing, we'll just find a part for you to play that's that you're comfortable with. But now you're part of a group. And what we all do together, if there's two or four or six of us, is going to be pretty cool. So it's. I think a lot of people, myself included, my first stick performance, there were 13 of us doing <laughs> a, a thing together. And I just felt so great that when I was uncomfortable, I could play quietly or like not at all. And when I was more confident then I could just kind of jump back in there. And I really remember that as being so awesome that I could be a part of it, but also that I could take whatever, uh, I guess, risk that I felt comfortable taking. Yeah. I remember that. That was really fun. I do remember that as well. Yeah. That was, it's really nice because yeah, with when you're in with, in a, with a group, you know, if you want to hide, you kind of can. Yeah. And if, if you want to, if you want to step out and make some, some real noise, you can do that too. And you can pick your spots and that's good for, it, it's good for those of us that kind of don't have a lifetime of musical performance. And so we may struggle with the nerves. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you need to hide, but just for like 15 seconds or so, like you're yeah, just a, a tough little part. lost right now, but you just need a minute to recollect. And, uh, and then, yeah, just jump back in. The group thing is perfect for that as well. It feels like the symphony almost. Like if you've ever had to play in the orchestra, rather, maybe the, like in the orchestra. I know as a French horn player, I had a like friend who was 
a really good friend who was a trombone player. And I remember my music teacher said, you know, Gene, just do the best you can. You're the only French horn player. Just do the best you can. And I was terrible. I was a terrible French horn player. I didn't have the one with the thumb valve. I only had like the student kind of three valve French horn. And I remember Peter could hit those parts. And sometimes just knowing that he was there, I would try to hit the part. And sometimes it was great and sometimes it wasn't, but I always had the option to kind of, you know, you know, lean back and kind of let the trombone kind of control that. And when you're getting up there, you know, what's nice is that people will say you're a tune, you know, or they'll, they will, they'll say, Hey, let's check your tuning. You know, it's like, right? like it's Canada, right? <laughs> nice let's way to say let's you're be civil tune. about it. Right. Like, you know, it's Canada's like, Hey, I think, you know, we should look at that tuning together. And, um, and I think that that's a big benefit, you know, because, Sometimes, and, and like a lot of times, you know, like everyone's really sensitive, you know, like we're all musicians, right? We're all kind of sensitive and running from something. And so when somebody like gives you direction, you know, you're kind of like, you know, like sometimes you know, people take it differently. But I think in, in events like this, you know, I think people genuinely care. Like they're really like, I really want you to be in tune. So, you know, or I really want you to hold your wrist a certain way. And so, you know, I would, broke kind of remind people I was there. I was like, Hey, elbows up, you know, that's, this is, you know, think about 10 years from now when you're playing the Chapman stick and, and every, it, it's all super helpful. And, and those group events, like when everyone gets together, it's not my favorite because I'm so used to playing as a soloist. So all of a sudden there's like 14 people and I'm like, this is chaos. This is not fun. <laughs> but then I just have to lighten up and like kind of roll with it. And I'm like, Oh, now I get it. It, 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 t- it took me a little while. You know. uh, I agree. I think um, it reminds me of um, one of my million Don Schiff stories. But uh, Don was up here <laughs> one year when we played. All on, good too. The performance was at the uh, backstage lounge on Granville Island, which is now closed, unfortunately. And uh, it was it was at a time where I was performing at the events all the time, but I was not. <laughs> like super comfortable with doing it. I was still kind of pushing myself out there. And then the plan this night was I was going to open the show and then Don and, Oh, I think Mauricio. No, it was, it was longer ago than that. I can't remember who else was here, but Don was one of the instructors that year. And I was on the stage a little bit nervous about trying to start the show on time. And there was something going wrong with my, my pedals that, I was just getting a little flustered and I was just going to start anyhow. And Don was in the audience. And I think this, to me, this reflects the stick seminar so well. He could see that I was uh, distressed, I'll say. And he came up on stage and he's like, hey, yeah, buddy, what's going on? You know, and I kind of tell him and and just a really calm voice. Don says, you know, sometimes it's best to just take a moment and get things right. And it just sort of realized on me, I was just a little too fixated on the show starts at eight o'clock. It is now 8.01, you know, we're violating our contract. And Mike, uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't think Mike was there. Oh, okay. Cause, uh, I I thought it might be the one with, uh, you, you mentioned Mauricio, uh, 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 it was, uh, it was prior to that. I think it was more like 10, 12 years ago, I think. Yeah. And Don just, you know, he just, said it like gene was saying he just said it like it is relax you know if the show starts at 803 the world's not going to end but like whatever you're doing just get it right before you start because it's and i've done it before where i busking or you know early gigs where something's not right but man everybody's staring at you and it's time to go so let's go 
and regretting it the entire time thinking, oh, I think I just figured out what the problem was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think those kind of things happen at the stick seminar. uh, What Gene was saying reminded me of that Don story because there's a lot of like mini versions of that. Hey, you know, take a minute and get the tuning right. And what you're about to do will be much better. Or, you know, I, I think such a common thing when you're on stage for the first time, the bass is a little louder than the melody, you know, like don't just play the tune and try yeah. to play your left hand lighter. Just stop for a minute and get it right. And then go for it. I think that should be an exercise as for a live chat, like for like performance, you know, it's <laughs> like, We're exactly, do drills. <laughs> like, exactly. Just like have that left hand cranked up and just like, Oh, I can't hear the melody. And it's like the, the, the is that what the bass hand sounds like? You know, like, you know, you, and it's such a good exercise. It's also as a stick player, it's good. I mean, you don't want to see people, um, you know, not do well, but you, you know, you figure out like, Hey, that didn't work or Hey, that worked great. So, that's also, you know, part of the experience being with, you know, 14, 15 other people that play the same instrument. You get to be a part of that whole experience. And, and, and the performance part, I mean, it cannot, I cannot, how do I say this? Like, it's, it's an integral part of being a musician is, is playing in front of other people, performing, having to be prepared, you know, understanding all your gear, you know, being in tune having, you know, practiced and, and feeling ready. And, you know, something amazing about Dawn is that it's a roller coaster. Like Dawn just goes for it. And like, he had a whole new rig, like, right. He just goes for it. And it's kind of like, by the time he's stopped to think about it, he's already on to the next song. In fact, he's already on to the next gig, right? He's like, it's like, that was, that was on Thursday, you know? And he, so it's, it's, um, it's inspiring because he, he never any time does he get down about it, you know, and it's just a consummate professional. to the event a few years back um, in Spain, in Mallorca? Yes. When you went to that event, how did that event impact you after having done the Vancouver event for like 13 years? That was a huge thing. I I was saying earlier that the seminars over the years have kind of transformed a bit from strictly instructional to more performance and 
that going to Mallorca in 2015, that was a direct result of that. Um, yeah, Mr. C Days organized just a fantastic week. I mean, I gush about that the way everybody <laughs> gushes about Gabriola because, you know, it was beautiful. The weather was amazing. We were like 35, 35 or 40 stick players, uh, almost all from Europe, but kind of other parts of the world represented from, from Australia to Norway. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and the, the format there was uh, we all stayed in the same place, so we all had meals together. And at breakfast, uh, Guijet and a couple other guys that were helping him out would come around and put everybody in groups and say, okay, today uh, you four are going to write something and we're going to play it tonight on the beach. And you know, you three do something, and then maybe somebody was doing a cover tune, or somebody had a tune that they wanted to play, and they were showing somebody parts so that they could play it with two sticks or maybe three sticks, and there was just this variety of collaborations going on, and it was, I mean, it was amazingly fun. The group of guys that were there are just phenomenal, and like all of our stick seminars, uh, raw beginners like Rodrigo Sorao. <laughs> Actually, there uh, are no raw beginners so funny. like Rodrigo. But <laughs> and, he, Bo- you know, and Boaz. And Boaz, right? And Boaz, Boaz was, was there. there right? But Rodrigo was pretty new there. And there were some guys <laughs> that were thing. you know, pretty early on in their playing. And there were some intermediate players and there were a handful of guys that were like just really great players. So like any gathering, it's just fun to see people playing all different styles and and every night of that, uh, I think we had five nights, and every night we performed somewhere on the island of Mallorca that Guillermo had organized ahead of time. And it was just super fun. Not everybody played every night, because there were so many of us, but I, I would say all of us played three times, probably at least. And that just changed my complete thinking about the stick seminar. I thought, okay, if I thought that was fun, I guess everybody else would too. So since then, that's with the 2018 and 2019 on Gabriola in particular, I was trying to do that. Can we just be kind of a little loose during the day, figuring out what it is we want to do that night, but but have the day is all focused on, okay, we're going to play this tonight. So what do we have to do to be ready for that? And not so much, uh, okay, play it dominant ninth chord and move your pinky an octave or whatever you know (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with that and we still do that but you know really have all that energy be focused on the performance and i do have to mention i don't know if we talked about this last time but the second seminar that i did we went to salt spring island it was our first island getaway there was like uh 12 students and greg howard and we, we stayed in an amazing place. I don't want to get too sidetracked about it, but a very cool place in a very cool place. And we decided we were going to do a performance there at the place we were staying on the Sunday evening. So we all get out there on Wednesday night, I guess it is. So we got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And what Greg Howard basically did with us is the, the two-hour performance on Sunday night, about 50% of the music was written during the seminar. There are two pieces mm. that I still know that were based on exercises that were in Greg Howard's stick book, but we elaborated on them and stuff. And then there was other stuff that we just, you know, it, I mean, Greg was the driving force, obviously, but we, like, created music over the weekend with a view to performing it on Sunday evening. 
And that was another amazing thing. And so I'm thinking, yeah, we have to find a way to incorporate this. Let's all do music together in, into the seminar more than, than it had been there for a while. Cause the times that we do it are just really fun. And, and people were playing other instruments and, and people were singing and people were playing drums. Right. I mean, it wasn't like the stick was a part of it, but it felt like we're musicians first, right? Like this is all, this is a musical experience, not just a Chapman stick experience. Yeah. Uh, one of the photographs up on my website is, um, the group that Bob Culberson was with. So it's, it's Bob and like, I think four stick players, but during the performance, Bob played his hong drum, I guess I should say hand pan. So on the caption of that is, you know, traveling hand pan player, Bob Culbertson joins the stick (laughs) quartet or something like that. International recording artist, multi-instrumentalist and. Yeah. Bazooki. What's the thing he plays that the. The didgeridoo. Didgeridoo. And the have you seen him play the shrewdy box? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The shrewdy boxes. All at the same time, of course. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I wish, I mean, that's not even a joke. Like, it's literally, he plays, he he drives that shrewdy box, plays the didgeridoo, and plays stick at the same time. Don't know how. Yeah, that's. I thought he was a really good stick player, but it turns out he's like really good on the didgeridoo too, right? Like, did, did has, has he ever sung? Did he sing when? Have you seen him sing at all? Just out of curiosity. I have not seen him, but I, when you said that, I was I was talking to him once about like the early days because he was a guitar player before the stick, like way back. And I wonder if it came up that maybe he did some singing back then. But uh, in the stick days, I've never seen him sing. Okay, yeah. Well, Emmett used to sing too, right? I'd hit him up. I'd be like, hey, you want to sing one? He's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah. Hey, who wants to see Bob Culbertson sing though, right? Uh, Are you listening, Bob? So I'm wondering, over 20 years, even when you have moved uh, the focus uh, over uh, toward the performance end of things, you know, there are still educational topics and still class time, sort of. Um, It's all very informal, obviously. How has that changed over the course of 20 seminars? In the early days, we would... uh communicate ahead of time and try to work out a schedule. And, uh, and, and especially after the first couple, when we realized, okay, maybe there's going to be a beginner group and an intermediate group. So now we need schedules for two groups and we would try to fill the day with, okay, let's do, you know, left-hand chord shapes or, you know, right-hand pentatonic or something. So we'd have topics to fill the day. And, um, I think this is, again, going back to Guillermo's Spanish event in 2015. I think I stole a little bit of language from his website where he talks about, first of all, a musical holiday and second of all, a musical conversation. Because the there was no formal instruction on Mallorca at all. There was quite a bit of informal instruction of people like it's sitting in small groups sharing. An example for me personally, Ewan Landry was there, who's not only a fantastic player, but I mean, 
Celtic music is home base for him. And uh, I had seen him play a couple of times after the first couple of days, and I, I was just talking to him about it because I, I enjoy going to Ireland. I don't play Celtic music at all, but like I love the music. And uh, he sat me down and was showing me a couple of rhythmic things about, you know, okay, the melody, you just got to do it. But like the, the rhythmic basis for a couple of the, I would say, Irish forms or Celtic forms. And that, I, that sort of stuff was happening all day, all weekend. It's like, oh, somebody is curious about something that this person knows about. Okay, let's go talk about that for a little bit. And uh, that, I think that's on my website now about the stick camp. It does use that similar language. We're having a musical conversation. And it really did start in 2018 where, I mean, we would have backup topics in case it all crashed and burned. But, you know, a lot of times was who's got something they want to talk about? And because we had distributed it ahead of time, fantastic things happened, like uh, Rob Gellner in Ontario did a presentation on reharmonizing a song. And it, that I remember was just, that. That was guy. Was that not I fantastic? That. It was great. Guys, good. And another one that uh, I wasn't expecting that we got was uh, Dursaeus. He also, you know, he flew up from South America, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me that, but you know, he's a good player. Especially that was apparent after that first night when he came to the um, the, came open to the open mic night, and and you know, it was a noisy bar, and he started playing, and all of a sudden it was a very quiet bar with a guy playing music that no one had ever heard before, but. Uh, he did a he did a uh, a presentation also I believe on on different forms of seventh chords and I didn't even know the guy could speak English and uh, you know I was trying my my rusty Spanish a little bit to try and make him feel comfortable traveling halfway around the world to get here and and then you know he taught that class and he actually knew English so I think he was pulling one over on me there but um, uh, I, I will say that uh, that might be kind of new for him because. I think it was 2016 was the Virginia Stick Summit. And Dursaeus came there and he also presented, but in Spanish through an interpreter. Is that right, Claire? Yeah, I'm trying. I don't know that he was exceptionally fluent in English. Let's yeah, in 2016. So, yeah, I think that was, uh, that was fairly new for him, is my guess. But yeah, the, so now letting it be, okay, we've got, for example, this year, we have Don Schiff and Tom Greisgriver here in case anybody has any questions about anything. But, you know, it, to make it just a conversation, you know, uh, uh, something else that's, that's changed over the years is in the early years, we did not want to talk about gear. And the thinking was, it's such a personal thing and there is so much gear out there that it would be really hard to come up with general things to say. But <laughs> there really are general things to say. So we've kind of changed our thinking over the years. And now gear is actually a fully accepted topic. And in fact, this year, uh, we did Zoom with Greg Howard, and he did a presentation on using a, a, an in-the-box parametric, multi-band parametric EQ to try to get a good tone out of both sides of the stick and some of the thinking is, okay, the three lowest bass strings, you want them to sound like the bass. But sometimes that third bass string just has a little different tone. Yeah. And with a parametric EQ, you can get all three of those to kind of lay together more nicely. And you can solve a couple of issues in the right hand to make everything 
sonically blend together. So Greg just kind of went through, a, I think, a five-band parametric EQ. Here's what I set it at. Here's why I say, here's what I'm trying to do. You know, this string is just a little brighter than the one next to it. So, you know, here's the fundamental, the, the core of the fundamentals are in this frequency range on this string, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So twiddle and knobs, I think, is a very legitimate topic now. And just because everybody's gadgets are different, everybody's got a reverb pedal. So if you want to talk about, do you use pre-delay on a reverb? It doesn't matter which pedal you have. If you have that functionality, the, the discussion is why would you do it and what is the effect you get from it? So, so yeah, there's a lot more talk about pedals and like, gear. and, and it's, It opens up a whole new uh, area for argumentation. Yeah. For argumentation. <laughs> yeah. It's analog, digital, pedal board, rack mount, you know, all in one, whole bunch of little things. What's your preference? And Tom, Tom had made some changes to his pedal board, so he's trying to have a more kind of mobile rig. And so it's funny the way you say that because Tom and pedal board don't go in the same sentence That's together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Tom changed his rig. So as far as I know, I think this is the early pedal board days for Tom. Yeah, he's used to a bunch of rack mount gear. I saw two HX stomps and like an H9, and I was like, what the heck is going on? Well, there's two sides to this. Two HX stomps. He had two of them. And then he also had his, you know, rack synth. So he's using that half rack boss. I can't remember. I think I might have something similar. The SE70? Um, it wasn't the SE70, it was the actual synth modules because no. he has the MIDI stuff. And so he had that as well. Um, but it was, you know, curious to see how, you know, because he's so meticulous, you know, cuts his own cables and, you know, everything is, is was always um, very precise. And, you know, to see him, you know, take that leap and then to, you know, move towards a more kind of mobile arrangement. Um, you know, it's a big, it's a big challenge. It was a big step. And, and so, you know, I was more, you know, interested, like, you know, like what's that like, man? Because you had like nine space, 10 space rack, you know, and then all the kind of the MIDI things turning on and off. And he would control his volume with MIDI. Like he wouldn't use a volume pedal because that would, that would, you know, it would introduce hiss or it would kill certain frequencies. And he's very particular about these things and he's in the recording business. So his ears can hear them. I think perhaps one of my favorite conversations was tuners this year. So the, uh, the tuner thing came up and so, and like, you know, I've got like a polytune three or something like that little mini it's on the board, whatever it is. I also have like a snark and I'm like, it's done, but there's, (laughs) <laughs> what was it? And, and forgive me because it was the name was said three hundred times. Peterson. 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 Yes. The Peterson tuners, and then and then like the different variations of it, and the different versions of it, and the newer version of it, and, and now this one's got firmware or whatever it is. So that was really fun to see in terms of like gear talk. Okay, so Jim Myers now holding up his Peterson tuner, which is a clip-on, right? That's right. That one is, yeah. So out of curiosity, what does something like that cost, like a Peterson clip-on? Yeah, up here, a Snark would probably cost $20, $25. You know, they're, they're not all the same, but something like that. And that one would probably be 
70, 60 to 70. Okay. Is so, it yeah. worth that much more? Is yeah, it, I went with the twenty dollar one. I don't because because my ears don't hear it, and that's why like everyone was talking about it. And I was like, this has been going on for like almost an hour, and we're still talking about tuners. And I, yeah, I have like exactly snark tuner, twenty dollar <laughs> tuner. I just get it so it's green, right? If it's red yeah. on the other side, then well, yeah, you know, that's, uh, no yeah, points. To, to me, the tuner is what you get when you press the right hand button on your HX stomp, you know, and. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Here's that my was educational. Of Victor, welcome back to hour number five with the Jim Meyer interview. We're back to tuners. Gene, pick up when you were talking about strobes. <laughs> you just you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know. You know some things. You don't know some things, and there's some things you don't know. You don't know. Oh, well, and I didn't know, know a lot about funny. tuners. Whenever I talk with people about stick seminars that I didn't get a chance to be in attendance for i always it always makes me regret you talked about that presentation greg did with the parametric eq to make that third bass string sound a little meatier and now you know the tuner stuff sounds fascinating seeing what seeing what tom wanted i always regret missing a seminar you know i wish i had okay i, I, I would you know. just like to rub this in then since you mentioned that <laughs> So oh, great. Thanks. Thanks. It was, yeah. it was the best one yet. It was the best one yet. Just saying. <laughs> you mean best one ever? Like out yeah, of every, that's yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. Most people arrived on Wednesday. We met at the house, you know, late afternoon. And the plan for Wednesday was, okay, we'll socialize. We'll have something to eat. We'll set up the room so that everybody's plugged in and everybody's, we're going to do some instruments set up and tuning and all that. And that was the plan. So we actually did all of that and it wasn't really that late. So here we are, we're all in the room and Tom standing there with his stick on and Don standing there with the NS on and they've just plugged into the board and turned the amp on. Well, let's play. So it Wednesday evening kind of had this little impromptu Tom and Don jam, which was just awesome. So that's what you miss this time. Victor, sorry. Great. <laughs> I missed it too because I didn't get there until yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What Flew time did you get there, Gene? How'd that work out? Um, so I, you know, I have what's called a rotating day off, which I have every other Friday off because we work a longer day. And so I was able to travel in the evening on Wednesday and arrive on Thursday, but it wasn't until the evening when I got in. And so uh, on that note, the house was in this really nice part of Vancouver. Big, green, grassy lawn. It was on a corner. Nine-bedroom house. Must have been at least, what, 4,500 square feet? Upstairs, downstairs. 5,300. 5,300 square feet. Don't, don't forget the shrubbery. The <laughs> shrubbery? Yeah. Are we yeah, there was Monty Python We're here? talking like 12-foot hedges, you know. Yeah, 12-foot hedges, like total privacy. There was like a Zen garden out and back. You didn't really go into it, but it had like big three, four-car garage, beautiful outdoor kitchen area. And um, don't forget the sauna. This didn't get used to sauna. Yeah, but I did get to eat outside. There's this nice like covered kind of area outside. And um, get this. So there's... Was it Ted? Was Ted the guy from from back east who was the guitar teacher? Yeah, he was playing my stick. So Ted is the first guy I met on the stickest. And I remember him because he had something about like orange something or other, the type of wood. 
orange something or other. And it was when I was just getting to figure out how to use the stick. That's 2009, 2010. And I was looking to trade a 12 string stick that I had for a 10 string. And, you know, we, we kind of exchanged some emails and early on, there's this feature in the stick is to add a friend. Like you can have an enemy or a friend and then it mutes them or it kind of elevates them and says, Hey, your friend's online. And he's the only one I ever put on there. And I remember like he mentioned the stick that he had something about orange. He's like, it's only one of two made. And I thought there's a 50% chance that this is the guy that I was friends with on the chat, on the stick is like, a decade ago, 12 years ago. And I'm like, Hey, he's like, yeah, it was me. And I know who you are. And I was like, Ted, you know, like it was just a crazy moment. And he was moment. in Vancouver a month ago. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh wow. So he was there. And so we were like having a sandwich. He's a vegan. You know, he just got married. Like he was, all these things we discovered about each other, but as the conversation ensued, it was like a previous life. So, um, that was a, and that was a fun moment. Well, a reunion. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. And I remember that same thing happened with uh, Dean with like Skydiver 4, right? Like we'd be, right? Remember this, Claire? When, <laughs> when the Friends Academy thing back in 2013 or 2014. And it was so exciting because everyone was arriving. Are you and, talking about Dean Kobayashi? Yeah. Hmm. And he said, Dean Kobayashi. I was like, who's that? And he's like, Skydiver 4. And I'm like, Skydiver 4, you know? I love always your fun. Posts, like, so what, you what's your stickiest name? Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, and I remember, I remember Jackie was embarrassed because, you know, I recognized him. He's like, oh, he met me. And then like two minutes later, he's like, oh, you're Gene. And I'm like, that's right. And it, like, maybe it was like the translation or something. And he was fabulously embarrassed. And I was like, dude, everyone knows you, Jackie. And your pet cat, you know? <laughs> so that was, so anyways, I'm, kind of rattling on now, but that was another fun moment about that house. It could, couldn't have happened any other way. And, and, and everyone had their own bedroom. You know, uh, Scott was there with his wife, which was so beautiful. And then you had people that were local like Nathan. And who was the, the gentleman who had the kind of the beard of the goatee, um, short hair, he sang a little. And, uh, uh, Alan? That, that Alan, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'd never met Alan or seen Alan play. And so that was really fun. Alan's, he's the guy with the radnecks, right? Yes. So uh, Alan, Alan played a set solo, and then on another night, Alan and the Radnex guitar player Jeff did a set with Mike Michalko. Oh, that, that was nice. Cool. Yeah. And Mike was our drummer, so Mike Michalko was was the kind of the stick night drummer. And uh, speaking of world records, I'm convinced that Mike has played with more stick players than any other drummer <laughs> in the world. I don't see how anyone else could have access to more stick players. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's a great poll. We have to kind of put it out there. And he had, you know, he had, I don't believe he had ever played with Nathan before. And really? And how could he not have played with Nathan? Wow. Yeah, maybe. And certainly Gene was added to the list. Mm-hmm. He played That's with right. Scott before. Oh, and of course, Alan, because Alan always played with the Radnex drummer. Right. Yeah, the list of Mike's Mike's stick checklist is pretty long now.
Jim, we've been talking about how wonderful all these seminars are and the evolution and, and progress and getting things where people really enjoy it. Are there things you've tried that just did not work? A metronome. <laughs> For the group? <laughs> we, I can remember uh, probably five different <laughs> types of metronomes that we've tried to use in a room full of stick players. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that I don't, I cannot recall one time where it was considered useful. <laughs> Was it a Peterson metronome, though? That's what I want to know. Because maybe you weren't using a Peterson one. It could one. be. Yeah, we needed a different one. Oh. That's, I would never have guessed that you would, you know, said a metronome, which is why I just kind of lost my stuff when you said that. What, what's so a funny. metronome? <laughs> exactly. Oh, wow. I'm looking on Sweetwater now. What is a metronome? <laughs> have you seen Greg Howard's last couple of videos? Uh, uh, the tap twister thing, where he's uh, he's playing like um, basically four four in the left hand and then various time signatures in the right hand, and he has a metronome behind him, and it's one it's one of these you know <laughs> pendulum clock <laughs> metronomes. I haven't seen one of those in a while. Oh that yeah, I've awesome. got one. I love that. Uh, I love Maybe that. Maybe that would work. He's a recovering saxophonist. That's what I. That's what I know is that. <laughs> like. Uh, you know, I'm sure they've got good sense of the time. Like, but I, I think, I don't know if he was a band guy, if he played band in high school or if that was introduction, but I... Yeah. You don't really use metronomes in band, though, do you? Yeah, isn't your metronome the, the conductor's right arm or something or like the, that? Or the drummer. A lot of people that came up through the orchestra and band, though, you know, had that kind of discipline with a, with a, with a metronome. Because they'd play, you know group parts as an individual and so you have to you know count things in and and hit the anticipations and i think it's also having that external reference of tempo rather than internal because you're playing with a group sure so i use a metronome sometimes when i'm practicing solo tunes and um i find that it adds a level of I don't know what the right word is, an extra level of stress to the playing, which, you know, which is good because it's, you know, a little bit of nerves. It's not really nerves because I'm in the room alone and my audience is the metronome. But, you know, I find that a metronome, it challenges me because it forces me to match someone else's tempo than to play at my natural speed that I may want to play, which is a good thing because my natural speed is going to, it's going to vary. It's going to wander but boy, putting a metronome in a room full of stickists, wow. <laughs> That's a great way to get them to stop to playing. Like how, how do you get a room full of Chapman stick players to stop playing? There's, there's <laughs> the setup like for that one. music in front of a guitarist or that, that joke. Ba -da. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know what it does kind of introduce? It does, it introduces an outside force. And for me, like the lighting is always kind of challenging because I look really hard at my left hand when I'm playing. Um, this thing with the left hand being too loud or the right hand being too loud, or you know, you're farther away from your speaker than what you're used to. It's that this it's this outside force that's pushing in that's impacting how you play. And so I think it's actually important to do because you know, come gig day, um, who knows? You know, maybe a 
cable doesn't work or that the, the monitor is you know, really far off and you, you can't hear the bass sound the way you're used to hearing it, um, it introduces this outside force that makes you react to it. Yeah, it's kind of shaking your table a little bit. To use the metro, uh, metronome, <laughs> to use the metaphor for you know you're building a house of cards on a card table, and then someone comes and shakes the table and makes it more difficult. To, you know, that's yeah, that's what a metronome kind of does for me. I would add to that that um, you know uh, if you have a 48 kilohertz sound card, your card will take 48,000 snapshots of your sound each second to digitize it. So that's so anything that's that's digitizing at 48 kilohertz is going to do that. But in the day, the early days of uh, all these A to D converters, the next step is to have a clock so that those 48,000 samples are evenly spaced across that one second. And I think of a metronome as serving that same function of okay, if I tap my foot, I know I can, you know, get on the beat every beat. But the metronome shows me where I speed up and slow down to pull that off. So the metronome makes your, you know, not the first beat of every four bars that you're on or the first beat of every bar, but it like it's it checks in that you're on the beat all the way through the measure. And I, I know for me there's there's just a lot of places, even in my own music, where if I record myself and listen back to it closely, I speed up a little bit, but I'll slow down somewhere else so that it if there is a, you know, a, a tempo to the song, I'm still going to hit with the drummer at some point, but the my notes aren't evenly spaced in the in between part. So I think yeah, the clock function of that goes with the A to D converter and a metronome serve that same purpose to check in with you much more frequently to make sure you're right on time. So everybody, set your metronome to sixty fourth notes. <laughs> This great silence, <laughs> great silence ensued. What, what else? What else has been has what didn't work or what's been improved? I mean, if you don't, because yeah, we love- a couple couple things that we hit on. I think uh, trying to do too much in a weekend it just it it saps the fun out of it, and then everybody's just tired before they even leave. Um, and adding more breaks, I thought those were pretty important. I guess what I've realized again, going back to Guillermo's 2015 event, having a place that people really want to be, and we've been going to Gabriella since 2005, so it's not like we were clueless on this, but it's really become apparent that you know you've used the word vacation, Claire's used the word vacation. If it's just truly relaxing. And you get to play the stick for four days. I, I think that's, that's the motivation. I want people to come and play in whatever environment they're comfortable with playing in, but like really have a good time and want to come back next year or two years from now, whatever. And it seems like the Trista Gabriola are the ones where everybody says, yeah, let's do that again. Now, nothing against Vancouver. I think th- this year's seminar and last year's were pretty cool, but it's just an urban vibe, you know, the, where we perform both years is like in the heart of downtown and there's not a beach nearby, <laughs> you know, it's just a little different pace of everything. So I, I really think the looking forward, what works the best, I guess, if I can say that instead of what doesn't work is putting a bunch of stick players in a place where they're happy to be 
and let him just play the stick. You know, I think for me, just the thing about the Haven was that I didn't have to worry about anything. You know, if I wanted to, I could park my car and never start it until it was time you, to leave. You in a car? Yeah. Because a lot of people just left him in Nanaimo and took the ferry yeah. across. And, and you really could no do need. that, yeah. And and a lot of those people climbed into my car. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, it, it, it's time to eat. Great. Just show up and and, and, and there's already food. You, 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 walked, you walked 200 feet to get to the cafeteria. I, I like being able to not have to focus on taking care of myself. I've loved every Vancouver event I've gone to, but the first one, you know, I had to stay in a hotel room because there wasn't room in the house, which is, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with that at all. But, you know, my morning was a little more chaotic and and then, you know, we'd have to, it was fun getting out, walking together, uh, going out to lunch and stuff, but it was a little more, you know, we, oh, we got to keep on a schedule here, you know, and, and with Gabriola, it's easier to stay on what was there of a schedule because it was a as you said it's a little looser but uh you know it's like going on a cruise ship that's except it's not a cruise ship but uh, you know you just <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything except you know get up walk 200 feet and 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 there's your peeps i think that's that's important in these types of events and i know the two years that i did the free hunts academy that was paramount that was it was fully immersive because what's going to happen is you're going to leave here and you're going to go back to your day job and, you know, whatever it is that you're doing all day long and you're not going to be immersed in this instrument. You're not going to be able to talk to somebody on your way to breakfast about it. Um, and what would even be better is that if you could go down to the kitchen and like, you know, there's eggs and, you know, like stuff there to have breakfast and you actually make breakfast with them, you know. So that's the beauty of, I think, these types of events when you have that proximity and some, you know, by the end of it, you're like, I can't wait to not be with like 14 other stick players. I mean, it was good while it lasted, but now I'm ready to get back to my wife, you know, <laughs> like, I don't, and that's, I didn't really feel that way at all. Actually, I was like kind of missing everyone, especially Camille, the new guy. It's something about like always like with the new person, you know, and I'm pretty sure his name was Camille. Was that, is that Camille? Yeah. Camille. You know, sometimes when you have a new stickist that you hear from on either social media or on the stickist or some other outlet, and you'll tell them about a seminar and they'll say, oh, I, I can't go to the seminar. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not ready yet. No, 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 no. You've got it backwards, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you should go to, to a seminar because you're a beginner. And, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I had the same vibe myself. I didn't want to go to a seminar until I'd been at it for a few years and I could at least play a few chords. But uh, that was the wrong thinking. You should go to a seminar if you're able because you're a beginner and it will accelerate things so much. And it's so different to be in a room with people than it is to watch a YouTube video. A YouTube video is great. You know, we've all learned from them, but, uh, and books are great. We all learn from them, but, you know, being in a room, you know, it's more immersive as you were the word that you're using, Gene, and that's really just helpful. So out there, this is, you know, Victor Bruins PSA for this episode. If you're a beginning <laughs> stick player and you're thinking, I hope to go to a seminar someday when I'm good enough. No, check that attitude. You should go to a seminar because you are a beginner, because it will just it'll shoot you out of a cannon. Especially okay. if you can like chat with Nathan Aswell, because that guy is so much fun to talk, chat and stick with and music in general. like. I don't know what it is. Like Nathan starts talking and I'm like, yes. You know, like I love, I just love hearing his approach and his story has been so inspiring. 
Uh, if I could just circle back, because I know you're a good editor, Victor. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's worth mentioning that when we go to Gabriola, the food is included. And the, you really notice that when you're here in Vancouver, because this year at the seminar, when it's time for a lunch break, it's basically, okay, everybody stop and go in different directions and not be together. And we'll see you in an hour and a half. But yeah, on Gabriola, everyone goes together and continues whatever it is they were talking about. And I, I really do think as, a, as an event organizer, and I only do one event a year, I think that's so important, what, what you were saying about make it easy. Yeah, you, you don't need a car. You, you can, you know, we'll come get you at the ferry dock, no problem. And everything you need is walking distance, and it's a short walk. And that just makes it, I don't have to think about food. I don't have to park anywhere. You know, it's, it's, that's the way to get away for sure. Well, you get to keep your train of thought. So when you're doing something for six hours, you know, you, you, you know, you, you're, you're around those people, those things come up. And, and even if it was just an hour, you don't have that same immersion. It's a different experience. And so that's why for, an instrument like the Chapman stick that is so unique, you know, just to get strings for it, you know, to have the instrument intonated. There are all these specifics about it and things to know. It really is this way of, you know, kind of compiling all this tribal knowledge and putting it all together at once. And you just kind of hang out and just kind of soak that in. And, uh, it doesn't happen too often. And, um, and it is, I mean, you know, my hat's off to you, Jim, you know, because these, these things, you know, there's a, for every hour of instruction, there's probably two hours of preparation that went into it. I, I vaguely recall, Jim, like, how late were you up, like, planning out people's uh, ferry trips? It's, yeah, uh, it, they're usually <laughs> late nights, and this year was no exception. I think uh, that was the late nights were kicked off by Mr. Team Perry here on Wednesday night. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's always the funnest week of the year for me, so it's time well spent. Yeah. And, and there are times now where, you know, thing, we've done things enough that doing it the 15th time is a lot easier, so... You know, actually, Jim, before we started recording um, and we were just kind of doing our conversation before, you actually shared another story uh, uh, um, involving, uh, involving you know, Gene playing, uh, uh, I think it must have been Thursday night. Friday Can night. Can you share that? Oh, okay. Friday night. Yeah. Can you share that one? That's, that, was, that, was a great, that was a great little bit. Okay. I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but um, I've just started going through the video, the performance video from the event and Gene led off Friday night, so... 
I was looking at his first and um, and I've, I've put together it's almost the entire piece of Sweet Love the Anita Baker team I just missed a little bit at the beginning oh and by the way this will be a kick uh, the cameraman for the evening all of this stuff was shot on my iPad and Corey was in charge of positioning the iPad so our cameraman is Corey just so you know um, so there's a spot in the video of this Anita Baker tune where uh, I know that um, Gene and Mike did not get really a sound check and certainly not a rehearsal. I don't know if you two even communicated before the event or not. But two, clear- three, four exactly. was like pretty yeah. much. <laughs> so, this is you know one of the fun things about Stick Night. It's like I, I appreciate anybody who commits to yeah I should play with a drummer because it you know it adds so much to it even though we've never met you know so I appreciate you doing that and it does seem to turn out pretty good but uh, you're playing along and I'm curious if you remember this uh, you're coming up to a change and I can see that you're you got the musician head move going like to let the drummer know and it's here uh, and I, I'm not even sure that Mike's looking at you but he, you know he plays right through the change exactly as he should and then you say uh, you're good <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. Mike um, got up and underneath that piece in all the right ways, and and I, I don't particularly like playing as a duet with just a drummer. I always like one more element, generally like guitar or bass or horn or keys or, or something or or vocals. Yes, yeah, there's like so because I really enjoy playing in trios. But um, Mike knew that song and knew how to, and, and heard me playing it. And I do my own kind of version. I don't hit all those really groovy bass lines and stuff like that. But something about like the change or the transition and, um, and he just felt it. And, it. and I felt the same way at that instant. And so um, that prompted, oh, you're good. On top of which, you know, we were in the presence of Don Schiff. And so you always have to do, hey, he's good. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great. Job. <laughs> good job. And That's I will right. say that for uh, two guys who had never played before for the first time, man, you guys ended that tune perfectly. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a soloist, you ha- we're big on endings. You know, like you, you, you like, there's no big jam at the end. Like, Get in, get out. Thanks for saying that. And and, and it was really fun. Also had a really fun uh, time playing with Nathan, you know, so yeah, we, uh, that's right. Yeah. Nathan and I, I, I just had this, this really great experience chatting with Nathan as well. Oh, but you know, Nathan, right? He went to Free I do. Hands Academy. And- yeah. He, he came out in, in 2014 and really took, we had like an NS stick night. So it was him and Gary and Dean came out and I, I'm trying to think if there's someone I'm forgetting. Um, maybe Don, Randy no? Claire Don had an NS. In. Oh, uh, maybe, um, uh, JRJ NS. had an NS. And so just like a bunch of people, we had an NS stick night. It was so exciting. And um, I just learned about what was capable with the instrument seeing Nathan play. And now he's playing a 12 string grand and I'm playing an NS. So, you know, it was this cool, you know, kind of come full circle. And um, so he sang, we were downstairs. Like he, he's like, I want to have a stick lesson with you. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do, I want to have a stick lesson with you. You know? So we went downstairs and, um, we had the NS and we had the, the Chapman stick and we were talking about things. And, um, and it was interesting because he was, the, the conversation kind of went like this, you know, Gene, I'm, I'm playing the 12 string now. What do I need to be doing? And I said, well, you play so fabulously on the NS. Why don't you just play that? And it's like, well, there's all these, these, there's more strings. And I was like, you're, I think you're overthinking it. And I think that you just need to hit a, a groovy bass line and sing. And then if that right hand feels it, 
you know, that right hand can, you know, compliment whatever it is that you're doing. And he just needed to hear me say it. And then he said essentially the exact same thing to me on the NS with the right hand. Cause I'm always like, I can hit this left hand fine, but I'm not quite sure what to do with the right hand. And he's like, I'm going to say it. I think, you know, that might be overthinking it, you know, or, 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 you know, just do what feels right. <laughs> and it was such a cool moment. Um, but anyway, he, he did um, the Leonard Cohen song, uh, Hallelujah. We did that together. And he, he's an amazing singer. So um, just carried that piece and, and just elevated the whole evening for me. It's really fun. Yeah. I, uh, hearing Nathan sing is just pretty amazing. And yeah, he, he hit a few notes in that tune that just the whole room was tingling. Yeah, it's a heavy song. It was, and the way he sang it was like the way it was meant to be sing, sung. And um, it was two Chapman sticks and, uh, and it worked. So I was, oh, it's you just know. something that uh, you reminded me of there is the, another thing that happens at the Stick Seminar, which has absolutely nothing to do with me, is that there's a group of people who are singing stick players. And they kind of share a ton of information with each other about, and I'm, I'm thinking of Scott Sure now because before Scott came up, he was asking a, a few people about, uh, okay, here's this tune I want to play uh, with a drum machine and I'm playing the stick, but this vocal is the main thing. What's your approach? And a lot of times Nathan would definitely be in this group for sure. Dale Latissewer over in Edmonton, Alan here in town. How, how do you, navigate the whole thing when really what you want to do is sing and accompany your voice with the stick. And that's just a whole different realm. And it's, it's another thing that happens at the stick seminars. That's, that's the subgroup. We have that subgroup and then the other subgroup that you're all familiar with the only podcast smaller than Chapman stick podcasts, the NS stick. <laughs> so we did <laughs> have an right. NS section session this year. It was Don Schiff and Nathan and they had their NS moment in the front room there for a while. And, yeah. That was good. That was good. So, Jim, I think we're getting kind of close to the end of our time here on, uh, on this episode. Uh, a couple things I wanted to ask you, just maybe to close things out. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, how it's been going on for 20 years and, and whatnot. Uh, Plans for the future, whether it's for you as an individual or for uh, for upcoming events, and then um, you know it's been twenty years, and you still seem like a pretty motivated guy. How does that happen? How do you stay motivated? <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, I was ready to quit some years ago, and I I'd even kind of said to the guys at the end of the seminar, you know, I'm taking next year off. And Corey wouldn't let me. He started, I think it was like, like yeah, in the summer. Yeah. And by, you know, October, November, he's like, you can't not do something next year. That's right. Um, so really, I, I would say the biggest motivation is the stick community. From the very first moment I entered at Nathan's 1996 stick seminar that Greg Howard was at, I could not believe that this professional musician literally wanted to come across the country and share anything he could with people that wanted to play the instrument he plays. And then I met Don Schiff the next year and he had the exact same attitude. 
And then, you know, over the years, I think I met Steve Adelson at an uh, event in Seattle that Lewis put on, you know, I think in 99. And Steve's like the same way. In fact, uh, I remember vividly from that event, Steve said to the group, everyone should buy a 12-string stick. And then he said everybody should buy two 12-string sticks because <laughs> you need a backup. You know? And I was playing a 12-string at the time, and he explained you know, the advantages. And then he, he said, here, play my stick. And, it just, and then I met Bob a couple of years later, and it's like every professional Chapman stick like soloist that I had met, and the list now is pretty long, you know, Greg and Tom and... Well, Tony Levin and Emmett and Jafflet and Mauricio and Dersaeus and all the guys in Europe, you know, Jim Lampy and Yoon Landrew and Guillermo and like all of them there, Verna was the same way. How can I help you become a better player? So to be a part of that community is pretty amazing. And you're talking about the, the new folks this year. Some of the stuff that that they've emailed me addresses exactly this. I can't believe the friendships that I made at a weekend stick seminar, you know? So I, for me, the, the motivation now to do it is it's just a phenomenal community. And the, it's weird that the new people that enter every year, they just fit right in and everybody it's mutually helping each other I just like every aspect of it. And for me, I know I've said this last time, I love the stick night shows. You know, if there's mm. three or four or eight or 10 stick players that are going to perform in the evening, man, I'm down with that completely because I'm always going to see something I haven't seen before. And I think Emmett would agree with me on this one that um, you, you can't imagine the different types of music that people can create with Emmett's instrument. And at a stick night, you know, the, the stick night videos are the same thing. You get eight stick players up there. It's like, holy man, they covered a lot of ground there, you know, yeah. these stick players. So I think that's the biggest motivation for me is the community. It's just amazing. A lot of good, good people, good musicians, and people that have, that find joy in discovering new ways of making music. Yeah. So for anybody yeah. that's got a few days off next August, <laughs> and I yeah, would let's, plug, plug, so yeah. let's talk about if, that because if you're uh, in the vicinity of Interlochen, you should go to Interlochen, which is in early August this year. And if you want to, you know, make an island adventure out of it, come out and see us. And uh, next year on Gabriel Island, it'll be um, the return of Steve Adelson, who has not been here in 15 years, I'm pretty sure, and Bob Culberson as well. And I'm I'm 98% certain that Jafflet will be joining us too. So that's that's a pretty powerful island get together, I'd say. Wow, and spouses, yeah. right? I mean, I mean that's always the case. Uh, the the house here in Vancouver that was kind of I, I knew people shouldn't be sharing a room, and I thought well. May as well bring your spouse, you know. Yeah, it, it's the sneak your wife into the hotel plan, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so I think I, I will be out. I, I am expecting to head out there with Annie, and as I recall, Bob oh, will be out there awesome. with his wife, yeah. and you'll probably, you know. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. She's not going to be bored sitting on a beach staring, is she? No. No. Because that's what we do over there. That's, I think she'll be just fine with that. As long as there's a little sunshine, it's all going to be good. 
Right. That would be great. And just since you mentioned that, I met Scott Schur in 1996. Scott Scott has registered for every event I've done. And I met his wife last month. So that was <laughs> really nice to meet Sarah. Just a yeah, person. what a sweetie. Yeah. yeah and one more note on Scott. Like we did one of these breakout sessions and I know we're trying to end the show, but let's we'll see how that goes. Um, Scott uh, showed Victor us. Victor can edit it. So like this was planned. Scott, <laughs> I, I learned a lot from Scott. So he was another one of these singing Chapman stick players. And, but he also had, and I'm going to do a free hands Friday on it. Cause I got a little time with him and I recorded it on his sustainer. So the sustainiac that he mounted onto his Chapman stick and mind you, you know, there was, he probably voided the warranty in doing so, but it was totally worth it. Um, also guitar pro seven. So we talked about just basically like, um, creating tablature for the Chapman stick. And it was, you know, I learned a lot. So I do, I use guitar pro. It's actually 7.5 now or 7.6 or something. And, uh, it's, it's not a very expensive tool. And, you know, once you set up the tuning for the bass side and the melody side of the stick, it's really, and you know, nothing, I don't think anything special about that particular package. I'm sure all the notation stuff works the same, but it is really nice to be able to enter. uh, Okay. Third string, eighth fret, or an actual note and have it do the other. And even as a learning tool with my own tunes, when I was transcribing my own tunes using Guitar Pro, I learned quite a bit about how I play from just seeing the result of that. So that's an avenue that may give surprising results. Another learning opportunity. Another learning opportunity at a Statman Stick event. All right, well, Jim... Jim, we're so glad that you could join us, uh, and, and it's always good to talk to you, and uh, you'll probably be the first time we have a third appearance by a guy. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much, and I know our first our first get-together was a little bit over an hour, and that covered like everything up to two years ago, so I'm, you could probably edit this down to probably like seven or eight minutes, I guess, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll just speed everyone up. I'll get rid of all the pauses and... <laughs> and everyone will talk at 2x speed like when you're watching a youtube video or listening exactly. to a podcast you set it for 2x yeah so all right well again thank you very much jim for joining us and for all those of you out there that are listening to this thanks again for tuning in and checking us out we really do appreciate it and we hope that sometime in the next 24 hours you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while goodbye bye everybody bye thanks and nice to talk to you all We got to hear some of Jim's music on this episode. First, it was Claire Sunrise off his CD called Watercolor. Next was Jade off of Arbutus and Jade with Mike Michalko on drums. And the third song we heard was a live performance of a new tune called Soaring, performed with Vancouver electronic drummer Dave Symington. your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.